This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, October 26, 2021. Coming up, we hear from Dr. Amina Belkadi, a recent PhD graduate in photonics and quantum engineering from the University of Colorado here in Boulder, about her groundbreaking research into microscopic devices that can harvest energy from low-grade environmental heat. It's often been said that the eyes are a window to the soul. But can looking deep into someone's eyes also be a diagnostic tool and for more than vision? These are questions that ophthalmologists are asking about conditions ranging from diabetes to dementia, and they're also asking these questions about cataracts. Cataracts are proteins and fibers that build up in the eye's clear lens. Cataracts can stiffen the lens and make it hazy and yellow leading to blurry vision, lots of glare from lights, and even blindness. By the age of 80, more than half of all Americans have clinically significant cataracts. Clinically significant means the cataract's interference with vision has become severe. Cataract surgery can clear out cataracts. It only takes an hour and often gives people who've had cataracts much better vision. Now here's the bad news. Cataract surgery can't clear out all the places in the body where similar tissue damage might be building up in unseen ways. That's one likely explanation for the disquieting results of a new study just published in the British Journal of Ophthalmology. The British researchers analyzed data from 16,000 people aged 40 and over. Over the course of a decade, around 10% of those people reported getting cataract surgery. By the time another decade rolled by, nearly 20% of the original participants had died. The risk of dying from vascular diseases such as heart attack and stroke was over 30% higher in people who reported having cataract surgery compared to those who didn't report the surgery. Now, no one involved in this study warns that having cataract surgery might lead to more death later in life. Instead, the author suggests that the eyes might offer clues about the health of the entire circulatory system. Perhaps early signs of cataracts might be a time to encourage people to make lifestyle changes to diet and exercise and stress to benefit eyes and circulation. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. Several months ago, my How on Earth colleague Shelley Schlender aired a short interview with a then-new CU grad on her work in developing so-called optical rectennas. These are tiny devices, too small to see with the naked eye, that use quantum properties of electrons to grab heat from their surroundings. I was intrigued and wanted to know more, especially about why Dr. Amina Belkadi pursued this obscure technology. Here's the story. Welcome to the show, Amina. I want to talk about some of your research, which has focused on these little tiny devices called optical rectennas that use quantum properties of electrons to take in heat from their surroundings. And this just sounds remarkable. But before we get into the details of this, can you talk a little bit about how you got into this line of research? Because it sounds like 
before you started, there were some pretty obscure studies from uh, quite a few years ago that preceded your work. So was there a big gap and then you just took it up when you got into graduate school? Uh, so optical rectennas um, have, are, are just a new technology and a lot of groups around the world started focusing on them um, in the last 20 years. Um, and so this concept was proposed by a grad student 20 years ago and proved to be really hard to experimentally demonstrate. So you could simulate it and see the results and say, well, that's a really cool concept. Now let's try using it. Um, and for the longest times, groups around the world were trying to test it or demonstrate it. But um, the goal was to use it for energy harvesting, meaning to put in a device that could produce energy without us giving it anything. Um, and every time anyone tried to demonstrate it, they still had to bias and apply voltage on a device. Um, so that was what went on for the past 20 years. Um, and I was able to build on what the group has achieved um, and some, some interesting results we got in the past five years to finally demonstrate it for energy harvesting. So no voltage applied, zero bias. Um, and that is, that is why this paper was very exciting. Okay, so let's get into the nitty gritty. So how do you build these things if they're so small? And then how do you um, set them up so that they can actually capture electrons? Uh, building them is a very complicated process, as you will guess, because what they're trying to do is harvest heat and waves there, um, the wavelength and the frequency of heat, uh, the frequency is um, 30 terahertz, so that's very, very fast. Um, and our devices need to be extremely small. The diode's dimensions are um, 100 nanometers by 40 nanometers. So that is, that is smaller than a human hair. Um, and the, the way we build them is we use masks. So we, we, you kind of think of it as stencils with little holes and dimensions, and then we can evaporate materials and metals through these stencils and hope that by doing angle depositions and maneuvering it all around, we can get the correct dimensions that we want. Okay, um, and, and so for people that aren't familiar, like myself, who has forgotten most of her college <laughs> physics, tell us exactly what a diode is. A diode, um, the simplest way of explaining it is an AC to DC converter. So you're looking at waves coming in with their wave nature up and down, and you want to be able to get a flat line out of that so you can power your devices. And the, the main component that is able to do that is a diode. And what it does is it kind of follows the up of a wave. So it goes up with a wave and then it tries to hold that still. Mm. Um, so it has a capacitor, the capacitor will start discharging and the, the diode is turning on and off. But the hope is to give you a flat, single voltage, let's say three volt or five volts okay. from any uh, wave. Okay, so the nifty thing is that you are using heat energy, which from, again, the little that I remember from my college physics, that's kind of the, the energy sink of the universe. So people used to think that there wasn't much that could be done with that heat. Yes. 
Okay. That, that, that is what makes this really motivating and fascinating is yeah. we could get something heat is just all around and we have so many problems because of heat. So being able to funnel that heat, one, take it out of our um, planet Earth so it could cool a little bit and then use it to generate green, clean energy. Right. And so you um, said that you had to use this manufacturing process, a very microscopic manufacturing process mm -hmm. to build the rectennas. Um, did you have to experiment with a lot of different materials to optimize their function? Yes, that's that's the core of you just summarized basically 70% <laughs> of my thesis <laughs> It is the search. The material search was the, the main limitation because you can go into your simulator and say, okay, well, I, I'm not limited by anything. So let me come up with whatever sandwich. So we, we call our diodes a sandwich because it's, it's an MIM, a metal insulator metal. And it really is a sandwich. You're just putting some insulators between two metals and hoping that as you change the metals and the insulators, you get different properties. Um, so what we did was go from one insulator to two insulators to three insulators. And that gives you a lot of room to play. Switching materials is a new different diode. Um, but then I design my diodes and I go to the table of elements and I look through it and I'm like, okay, well, what I just designed does not work, but we need to get the closest thing. Um, so we played with nickel and chromium and gold and silver. And each one was, you start right over. Nothing you learn from the last diode helps mm. because you're um, the way to deposit it changes. If your last time you use an evaporator, just a thermal evaporator, this time your metal will not be uniform or it will not be continuous. Or there's, there were so many challenges in the fabrication process that took about four to five years to just oh finally find that magical combination and say, okay, now we found our sandwich. Now we can, we, we can start playing with other things such as dimensions or how big and small it is. Um, thickness, thickness of the insulator was also, um, that was the key for this paper because we started playing with the thickness and ratio of the two insulators. Um, and that, that was the first time this study was done by playing with thicknesses. It sounds like there were a lot of frustrating moments because so often in science, you can build on your preceding experiments, but you weren't able to do that with a lot of this work. Yes, not not much. Um, uh, it, it, it really was very challenging um, because our experiments then had to be conducted at terahertz. And I cannot say that a lot of groups around the world care or study um, extremely thin insulators at terahertz. Mm. Uh, so we had mm -hmm. to figure out, okay, let's look up who has ever studied nickel oxide, two to three nanometers of nickel oxides at terahertz, and there was absolutely no one. Now, can we even get these experiments done? And every group we contacted would say, you know, maybe, but it's such a risk and such a long process and no one else is doing it that you're going to have to pay us so much for us to do this material for you. <laughs> Um, so we, we were a little bit on our own and, and sometimes sure. we could yeah. hop on someone else's experiment and say, hey, just slide this in so we can get some results. Okay, okay. And so then what about the quantum component of your work? 
That sounds like those classic experiments from, I guess they must have been in the 60s maybe, where um, it looked like when when people shot electrodes through um, a thin layer of, was it gold, that it looked like the electrons were in the same place or the particles were in the same place at the same time? Or yes. sorry, in different places at the same time? Yes. So the, the quantum part of our experiment um, is that when you think of, well, let's say you think of walls and electrons going through or bodies going through a wall, you'd think the thicker the wall, the harder it is. But then comes quantum mechanics and it starts, rules change. Um, so what we observed with ours was, okay, we were going to increase the thickness. We have two insulators. One is fixed at a nanometer and the other one we were going to play with the thickness and everyone else around the world has seen that as you increase the thickness your resistance your device's resistance increases because it's harder for electrons to go through so we started with two nanometers and it's like okay our resistance is let's say five five kilo ohms we went to three nanometers and it increased to 10 kilo ohms okay it matches the rest of the world and then we went to four nanometers and resistance dropped and then we went back to five and it went up again. And then six nanometers, it came back down again. Mm. And we tried every possible because you don't really believe your result right away. Right. So right. we did not think it was, we actually proved this quantum mechanics prediction that no one did in 20 years. So it must be something else. Um, we even checked, we said, okay, it could be a memory effect sometimes when you use the tool something happens so for example if you go back and use the same tool and you instead do six nanometers three five four the effect disappears um so we did that and we still saw it and we repeated it on different days we're like okay maybe our experiments on tuesdays give this so we're gonna wait a week and carry <laughs> it on friday um and we went all around and the only explanation we did so many tests and the only explanation that came back was quantum mechanics mm -hmm. um some invisible channel happens that allows electrons to go through when you are at the right thickness. So it, it, it kind of creates a magical path for them to go through. Uh, that is not really the usual same laws that we're used to. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds amazing that you came across this property of the thickness of the insulator providing channels, if you will, that gave kind of a free pass to the electrons so that it's a really efficient system. Yes, when you get, when you get those electrons going through those, they're, they're, um, so what, what happened is between the two insulators, we created a quantum well, and quantum walls have these quantum levels that allow you to, to see the properties. And we've, with playing with thickness, we, we were able to align those levels with where our electrons were. And, and so we could pass some electrons and see a drop in resistance. And that really helped the devices to be able to, to get closer to, to an energy harvesting application. Okay. So the heat energy in the environment provides the boost for the electrons to move through the insulator. Is that what um, provides the energy? Um, kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of a way I, I would describe it. So the heat 
is what moves these electrons. Um, they're, they're kind of jumping up and down. Mm -hmm. And with our diodes, if you have a slow diode, then they're so moving so fast that your diode cannot really capture anything. So you need a diode that is extremely, extremely fast in order for the electrons to kind of make it one way. Um, if your diode is slow, then they're just bouncing all around and your diode's not allowed, able to, to work. Um, so these materials and having that quantum well um, allowed us to, to harvest energy of that frequency. So um, I see. Just okay. heat. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to tune your diode to the frequency of the energy source. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. So then um, I guess I want to to look into the future and ask you if you have a crystal ball to predict how this could be scaled up and used in practical applications. Um, let me let me look at my ball. So <laughs> it is it is tough to say because even though this was such a huge achievement, I I love this work. To me, it's just. It's fascinating how it tied up simulations to fabrication and it, it allowed us to demonstrate these devices for the first time harvesting room temperature heat. Um, and it did give a, like three X boost to, to the rectennas as we know them, but they are still, they, they still need another magical jump to, to get to a practical um, application where we can, we can see them. But let me, let me, just assume there's that foggy part of my crystal ball and I could go beyond it <laughs> okay. and predict if these could get the next jump. And there's some other quantum mechanics concept that we have not thought about, but someone will in the next 10 years. Um, that what we would envision as, a, as, as an application would be putting these as add-ons to solar cells. Um, so spreading them on houses, anywhere mm -hmm. you can think of. Mm -hmm. And during the day when the sun is the hot source and the earth is cold, then our solar cells are our best bet. So those are gathering all that heat from the sun um, and turning it into energy. But at night, when the earth becomes the hot source and the sky is the open field, then rectennas could come into play and they would start um, one, reducing the heat on earth and two, generating whatever we need for light or whatever we would need at night to power your house, um, can be stored into batteries or not bypass those. Um, so that, that's kind of, if, if everything works out and we get another, another magical jump, um, then that, that would be very exciting to have solar, um, or optical rectennas with solar cells. Wow, that's a fantastic idea. So um, hopefully you can continue to pursue this. It seems like somebody like DARPA should be picking you up to <laughs> pursue this work. Um, do you have some plans in the future to keep going with this? I, I would love to explore what was the most challenging part for me, and that is material properties or characteristics of those frequencies because i think if we can if we can generate a map where we could have more uh, materials characterized and we could understand their behavior at those frequencies 
um, that would definitely help the optical retinas field, the solar cell fields, and any other application looking at um, taking taking heat and uh, turning it into energy. Yeah, it seems like the the basic science is so important to do to just build that big base, and then other people can come in and put different pieces of it together to try to solve this question, which has so many, you know, not just the practical applications that I was thinking of um, for both generating, say, electricity from solar cells, but also, like you said, uh, removing some of the excess heat from our environment. So I sure hope you can continue with that. And um, anything else that you'd like to add before we run out of time the last few minutes? Uh, someone, someone came up with an interesting application too that I, I just remembered. And they, they were saying um, a good use of optical rectennas would also be in redirecting heat. For example, in um, computers and cell phones, sometimes you have your element, the main one, the processor that's working really fast. And if it heats up, it slows your device. So if you could take that heat and redirect it to some other component, like the memory or something that is not as affected by heat, and you could use optical rectennas, then that would also make um, a, a huge difference in, in the next generation computers and, and, and cell phones. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic idea. And I'm, I'm sure there's so many other things that we haven't even touched on that people can dream up to put these to good use. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm always more and more fascinated when I um, talk to someone who is not in this area and they just come up with great, great suggestions. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry we are out of time, but this has been fascinating. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're quite welcome. That was Dr. Amina Belkadi, who recently completed her doctorate in the Department of Electrical, Computer, and Energy Engineering at CU Boulder. She was talking about her work in developing a novel technology building tiny devices, too small to see with the naked eye that exploit quantum properties of electrons to capture energy from heat. I'll link to the paper she and her colleagues published in Nature, as well as a CU press release that summarizes the work in the show notes on the How on Earth website. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. I produced this week's show. Shelley Schlender provided the headline on optical technology and disease prediction. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music by Amadeus Mozart. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and links in the show notes. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.